a moment to your seat. So come to God's word together. We want to pray. It's in your hearts where you're standing. You, you came here for a reason this morning. God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you personally. He wants to speak to you specifically. And, and there's an area in your life where you're struggling to trust right now. And, I, and the Holy Spirit is bringing that to mind. And, and he, He's speaking to you. And He's saying, today I, I come to, to, to speak to this part of your life. There's part, something in your future, something in your past, something presently that's just right in front of you. And you're like, Lord, I need help. And, and God today wants to minister help to you where you are. He wants to bring healing to your life. He wants to bring wholeness and peace and joy. He wants to bring wisdom. And so, Father, this morning, would you just guide us to the place of wisdom, a place where we can trust you in every aspect of our life. As we've sung now, we pray that you would guide and tune our hearts to the place of obedience and faith and rest alone. And so we commit this time in your word together, in Jesus' name. Please be seated. Thanks, John, Alyssa, and team back there. And we're glad to see all of you. When I come to worship, I, I sit in the second row, and, and usually there's a lot of empty rows as I come up and sit down. But when I get to preach, they're full. So thank you for for showing up. We'd love to come a little earlier so you can have some coffee and get to know people. That's part of the, the vibe here is that we want to move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And so if you come a little earlier, you get to know some people. And next weekend, we're going to be doing a significant outward movement up at camp, but it'll happen here too at 1030. But we're going we're gonna to get to know each other. We do not want to be a group of friendly strangers. We want to be a church. And that means that we're connected and we're united and we support and love and care and grow together. And as we come to the book of Proverbs, that's what we encounter is kind of like this fatherly teacher instructing his children in the right way that they should go, the way of the path of wisdom. And that path is often referred to as the, the, the fear of the Lord. And we'll, we'll encounter that, that, you know, as we move through the book of Proverbs. But in Proverbs chapter 3 and in the verses that Pastor John led us in, verse 5 and 6, famous, popular, you know, mugs and t-shirts, bumper stickers, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding. We all, if you've been in the church, you know this verse. If you're new to the church, you're like, well, I've never heard this before. I'm glad to introduce it to you this morning. For 35 years, it's been the motto of my faith journey, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I'm still learning the reality of that verse today. It's like a daily thing. It's like you think, you think okay, I've, I, I've applied it, I've, I've learned it, I, I've mastered it. No, no, and then you hit another circumstance and you've got to reapply it, remaster it, relearn it. And the book of Proverbs, that, that, those two verses occur in a context of, of 12 verses, verses 1 to 12 of chapter 3. And he goes on in, in, this, in this particular 12 verses and he says, you know, here's, here's six things you could do and here's six benefits from doing those things. But in the middle of this, of this group of six is this, these, those two verses that kind of bind it all together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But it's, it's within the context of this thing. And, and I understand, as you read the Proverbs, the danger is that you might think that, okay, if I just do all these things, all these things will automatically happen. And that's not what the Proverbs is saying. That's not what the Bible says. It's not a bunch of moralisms where just try harder, do more, do this. It, its focus is on this relationship we have with God. 
And out of that relationship, there are steps that we take in that relationship, and there are steps that God takes. And what we find in Proverbs 3, 1 to 12 is that, that if you take the right steps, God takes the right steps. And the things that we all hope for in life are available for those that seek the Lord. He, he'll talk about, you know, a, a long and full life, a life of peace. He'll talk about, uh, you know, building a, a reputation and a character of, in your life. He'll talk about having clear direction and paths to, to walk on. He'll talk about, about having healing and, and refreshment in, in your whole being, you know, and wellness. He'll talk about having prosperity and security for your future. And he'll talk about consistent, loving care of a Father in heaven who loves you. I mean, who wouldn't want those six things? But he says in order to, to experience these six blessings, uh, here's some steps that, that you need to, to take. And, it, and he, he sometimes frames it in the negative, sometimes he frames it in the positive, but usually the negative and the positive equal the action that, that, that he says, you know, here, these are good actions to take, these are wise actions, these actions lead you towards God and to experience the fullness of life that he has for all of us. He starts in verse 1. He says, my child, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 2, for they will provide a long and full life, and they will add well-being to you. So he'll do this again and again. He'll talk about, verse 1, what, what you should do, and verse 2, what will happen. He'll, this is going to go through this whole passage. Here's, here's a good path to take. This is the result of that path. He's like, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my Commandments, in the first few verses here, he'll keep coming back to this idea of the heart. And some of you, especially the man in here, we think, oh, heart, you know, this is mushy-gush, you know, emotional, you know, the, the W channel, you know, those romantic movies. You know, like, this is, this is not for me. No, it is for you. The heart is the command center. It's the, it's the center of the submarine, right, where, where, where all the commands are issued. It's the throne room where the magistrate sits and, and, and offers edicts and judgments and di- dictates what's going to happen in the kingdom. The heart is the, is the place where, where, where we control our lives. And he says, let your heart keep my commandments. Because when you do this, and when you don't forget my commands, and these, these commandments are, are, are God's word, the words used there refer back to the first five books of the Bible. Often the Jews would call the Torah. This was the foundational instruction and teaching about God and, and how he created the world and, and how he created us for relationship and covenant. And he's like, keep these commandments in your heart. Because the result is you get this long and full life and peace in verse 2. They will bring well-being. That is the word shalom. It's this life that's whole and complete and balanced and, and at rest. I mean, who doesn't want peace? You know, we spend thousands of dollars on books and, and yoga classes and, and mind exercises and all these things to find peace. We, you know, we travel to, to lakes and we, we camp together to find peace. I mean, whoever thought camping and peace equals together? I mean, they haven't gone camping a lot, but, but that's, a, you know, we, we try to find it. We'll do all sorts of crazy things. And, and he says, here's where you find it. Allow the teaching and instruction of God's word to etch its way into your heart. A long and full life. He says in verse 3, Do not let truth and mercy leave you. 
Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And these are, are two kind of powerfully packed words in the Hebrew language which describe God's character. It, it occurs several times in the Old Testament describing God's loyal love, his, his truth, his faithfulness, his reliability. He's like, let the characteristics of God permanently engrave themselves in, into your heart. Bind them around your neck like a, like a necklace. Or maybe like a noose. <laughs> and as those take over your life, what used to be your life will disappear. You know, we're, we live in kind of ranching territory, right? And so this period of time in, in ranchers, ranchers' season of life is where you take the calves and you brand them. And the smell of burning hair and flesh and smoke. And, and, but, but what happens is the, that is a mark of ownership. That that calf belongs to, to this family to this ranch he says allow the commandments the truth and mercy the the very character of god to to become the defining characteristic of your life the mark of ownership on your life is is the very character of god you belong to him truth and faithfulness that one word is that just deeply theological word chesed which describes god's loyal Covenant love is faithful love is consistent love. It's a, it's a love of partnership and, and promise that, that sticks together through tough and, and difficulty and thick and th- thin. There's no actually English word that truly translates it, but it's like, don't let these things leave you. Keep them around your neck. You know, write them on the tablet of your heart. Let God, you know, just engrave it and, 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 and let him brand you with, with, with this characteristic. You know, in, in the scriptures, if you have a, a hard heart, you also have a stiff neck. A rebellious person is known to be a, a stiff-necked person. But a wise person is this person that has the, this character of God that just they carry with them and that marks them. Because what happens in, in verse 4 is that uh, you'll find favor or grace and good understanding in the sight of God and people. You establish this, this character and this, this reputation and, and this relational collateral that, that comes when you choose the path of wisdom. When God's character is, is just emblazed on your heart, you develop a character of integrity which reflects the one who, who owns you and, and to whom you belong. And people will respect you. And God also will be pleased with you. You'll find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and people. When you do the right thing, when you choose the right path, this is the result. Some of some of you understand when you make bad choices consistently, you start to look over your shoulder a lot, right? If you rip people off enough times, you, 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 you kind of run around scared. But if you live this life of reflecting God's character, his chesed and his, his emet, his faithfulness and his loyalty, his love and his, his mercy, you, you establish this long-standing character of integrity and reputation in the sight of God and of people. And that leads us to kind of the key verse of this passage. Uh, verse 5 and verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And again, he's coming back to the heart. That word trust means to lean on, to, to depend on, to, to rely on something. To, to trust in the Lord is, is to, to, to essentially step out of the throne room, step off of the throne, and allow God to, to assume the position of authority. It's, it's an act of surrender. 
It's an act where we step aside and allow God to be God. And we respond to him as the creator, and we are the creature. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just with part of it. I mean, sometimes we, we give God segments of our life, but he's like, all of your heart. I mean, allow him to have every access to every button, every dial, every lever in your life. Everyone. And don't rely on your own understanding. And, you know, don't lean on, on what you know to be right. Now, this is counter to anything you've been taught, probably, in the world. The world will teach you, you need to figure life out. You need to get the edge. You need to find the advantage. You need to, to learn and study and, and research, get on Google and do all that stuff. Figure out life, you know, and, and find all the answers, right? They're, they're all there. You can find them, right? And he's like, don't rely and lean on your own understanding. If we were all to be honest, we could all point to decisions we made along our journey where we trusted our own understanding and paid for where we relied on, on, on our own perspective. We didn't really go to God. We're like, we've got this, I got this one case, God. I've got it all figured out. And as we go down that path, we realize we made a mistake because we didn't trust. We didn't bring it to God. We didn't acknowledge him. We didn't allow him to step into there and give it his assessment of the situation and say, I know you're going to flip that lever, but I wouldn't do that one. I would turn this knob instead, he would say. Right? No, no, I understand this, God. I got this one, God. Don't rely on your own understanding. And then he clarifies it a little further in verse 6. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And literally, you could translate that, know him in all your ways. That's literally how it translates in the Hebrew. Know him. He's saying, bring him into the throne room, allow him to sit on the throne, take your hands off every lever, and just stand and watch and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this situation? Know him. This is not this kind of servile. This is like, you know, a, a fear of God, you know, the, the commander, the master, but it's actually God bringing you in as his child and actually sitting you on his lap and saying, don't touch anything, but watch me do this. And you're like, know him you see the purpose of the book of proverbs is to bring us to a deeper knowledge of god a relationship with him it's not this just do this do this do this do this do this this happens this happens this happens it's come to know the creator be wise as you walk with your creator with your savior with your redeemer know god know him in all your ways every step you take again like the first verse with all your heart we tend to want god to be part of our life and in parts of our life but he's like know him in all your ways he's preparing you for the rest of the book of proverbs where he's going to just start punching you in the gut your parenting you've accepted the world's idea of parenting and not god's your management of money you've accepted the world's idea and not god's your marriage you need to follow God's way. And, and then it'll go on and, and in every aspect, in every corner, you, the way you do business, the way you work, the way you, you know, he says, everything is a reflection of your relationship with me. In all your ways, know him. For some people, church is a Sunday morning thing. And you go home and you throw, if you have one of these, <laughs> you bring it to church, you throw it on the shelf 
and it stays there till Sunday morning at, at 10 o'clock, hopefully when you're getting into your car to drive here to get coffee and visit with people, right? You know, it stays there, and it's like, okay, I, I, I'm doing this for this morning, and that's all I can give you, God. I can give you an hour, and don't squeeze me anymore, God, because I got other things to do. You know, I got places to go, people to be with, you know, and, and he's like, acknowledge and know him in all your ways. God have access to your Google calendar. As you think about your future, young people, does God play a part in you deciding where you're going to go to college, where you're going to go to school, who you're going to date? Does God factor into the decisions you make about, about you know, your retirement or, or your, your future as, as a senior or, or your midlife as a, as a couple with, you know, f- you know, entering close to the empty nest series of life? I mean, d- does God play a part in, in, in any of those seasons of your life and in all of those seasons of your life? He says, know him in all your ways. And the result of doing that is he will make your path straight. Literally, he carves a straight highway for you. He clears the way out, you know, for you to move forward. I mean, I, I grew up in British Columbia, you know, and the roads out there, I mean, they, they were made by, you know, blind mules, you know, they were <laughs> ridden by drunk people. I mean, they're going around and, you know, curves and, you know, but it was nice when they'd finally, you know, straighten out that corner, you know, I mean, if you, some of you guys drive to BC, you understand, you know, they did that major, they cut out the you know, the, the rock, and there's this huge bridge. So they could, you know, they didn't have that, you know, hairpin turn at the bottom of the, of the road there in the kicking horse pass. I mean, God clears the way for you, but you need to trust and acknowledge him and know him in, in your life circumstances. Now, the reality is, if you refuse to get out of the seat, God says, okay, it's yours. And he just steps back and lets you flip levers, turn knobs, handle buttons, turn the steering wheel, and he, and he just, he'll let you run it into the ditch, you know, overheat, Burn the engine out. He, he, he said, if, if you want it, then you can have it. God doesn't force us to do anything. He invites us as, a, as, as the creator and as the redeemer and as our savior to enter relationship with him. And he says, come join me. Let's, let's walk together. But he doesn't force anyone. We have this free will. I mean, you've got a little kid. You see it active in their heart. I mean, and its inclination is to do bad things and to hurt people and to be selfish. And he's like, trust me. Just let me... Take the, the chair for a moment. Let me handle the levers of your life. Let, let me straighten the course that you tried to run and find going in the wrong direction. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. He continues in verse six, I mean verse seven. He says, You know, don't be wise in your own estimation. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. He's like, you know, you think you've got life figured out. This is a challenge, I know, especially for the millennial generation. They just want to be at every table and make every decision, and, and they don't want to have to learn from people who have made those mistakes in the past. They're like, just let me do this myself. I mean, I, I had a guy working with me once, and I was like, I'm telling you, if you do this, this is what will happen. I'm trying to help you to avoid the mistakes that I made back, you know, and that others have made. He's like, I, I just want to figure it out on my own, he said. He's like, you know, don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't be a know-it-all. Yeah, you might have Google, and you might have degrees, and you might have, but, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You come to God and know him, acknowledge him, let him direct your paths, and, and, and walk with him, and, and turn away from the path that lead away from God. Pursue him. Fear the Lord. Know him in an intimate relationship, and, and turn away from those, those things that are going to drag you down and hurt you. 
you can't play both sides of this game. I mean, I've spoken at camps, especially senior high camps, and, and there's a lot of camp Christians. They come to camp, and they just they put it on for a week, and then they go home, and they're doing whatever they were doing before. I'm like, this is not the life of following Jesus. It's not, I put it on for a week, and then I come back, and I'm just whatever, back in Provost or Macklin or wherever I live, and you know, I'm Wainwright, and I'm just doing my thing. That's not the way it works. If you're a follower of Jesus here, you're a follower of Jesus back in your high school, in your home, on your ball team, on the rink when you're playing hockey, and 4-H, whatever you're doing, you're a follower of Jesus, and that governs what you do, how you speak, how you act, how you approach life. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And for young people, the opportunities for evil are all around us. But not just young people, for middle-aged people, for older people. The opportunity to be selfish, self-indulgent, to, to hurt others while we pursue our own, you know, desires. I mean, it's always there, but he's like, trust God, fear him, stay close to him, and stay away from evil. The result of that is in verse 8. This will bring healing to your body and refreshment to your inner self. The actual Hebrew terms there are your navel and your bones. From the outside, kind of the access point to the body, right into the marrow of, of, your, of your existence. You know, the healthiest people tend to be the people that follow God's way. If you read the, the research, monogamous married couples live longer and healthier and have the best sex. That's, a, that's true. It's there. And, and, and you know, why? Because they're doing it God's way. But not only that, there's another side to this. You know, if you make consistently poor choices, I had a friend down in Nairdrew there. He was older than me, but his father was a man who went to church but didn't live it during the week. He had mistresses and all that stuff. And, and eventually he died of a, of a sexually transmitted disease that affected his internal organs. That's how he died. You see, you, you can pretend and you can hide it, but eventually it catches up to you. But there's even another side of this is in that we live in this sinful, fallen world and people get sick and people die and cancer and all this stuff is out there. And, and it's like the reality is that when you walk with God, it changes the way you approach those scenarios and situations. There's a lady in our church, she was new to the faith and had cancer of the pancreas. She got treatment, and it kind of went into remission. In that year of remission, we baptized her in the church. It was really exciting, and we were praying for her. And then, sure enough, a year later, the cancer came back with a vengeance. And nothing could be done about it. Uh, she was a couple years older than Lisa and I. Our kids, same age as our kids. We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and and, I, and we've prayed, and I've seen people healed. There are people in our church here in, in New Life that have, have experienced God's miraculous healing in, in, in these circumstances. And we prayed for this woman, and, and we pled, and, and, and we, we cried, and we, we, we begged the Lord to, to save and preserve her life. And, and God had a different plan in that scenario for her. But it was remarkable as she went through this journey. And eventually ending up in hospice, you know, the final stop before you, you leave. Just this inner strength that she had. This peace and this, this stability that, that I hadn't seen. I mean, I, I've been in deathbeds before and, and seen some horrific things and some, some really, you know, pathetic people and, and people just feeling like, oh, no, what's happening? But with her, it wasn't like that. It was like this, this peace. And 
right till the end. And she knew where she was going. There was no fear. She was, of course, sad to leave her children behind and her husband, but she knew God would look after him, and she was just ready to move into his presence because she decided, you know, we're born into a sinful world, but I'm going to be with Jesus. You see, people without God don't know how to die. They don't. They, they freak out. They, that's why they want to do euthanasia, right? So they can control that moment. But people with God, they, they're fine with dying. Why? Because dying is just graduation into his presence. It's a totally different perspective. Ref- healing to your body, refreshment to your inner self. The ability to approach death with no fear is a gift from God. It comes when you walk in the way, way of wisdom and when you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're like, I am not afraid of that moment. Why? Because God has taken care of that moment for me. The world does not offer you that in any way, shape, or form. But only God can offer you that. He continues on in verse 9 which really comes out of nowhere. Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled completely and your vats will overflow with new wine, verse 10. You're like, wait a second. I mean, he's been just speaking in kind of broad generalities here and, and abstractions, and suddenly he gets real specific here. In the context of trusting the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your understanding, he says specifically here in verse 9 and 10, give God his due share. Now understand, I didn't pick this passage just because I wanted to focus on this. This is just part of our journey through Proverbs. He says, you worship God when you bring a gift to him. When you bring your your wealth. The first fruits from all your crops. Now you understand, you guys that are farmers, you know how this works. You farm all year, or you raise those calves, or whatever it is that you're getting income off of, if it's a long-term thing, and you wait, and you wait, and you spend money spraying. You spend money fertilizing. You spend money on the seed. You spend money repairing tractors. And you're waiting for that harvest. <laughs> and when the harvest comes in, there's all these bill collectors waiting to, you know, to get their share because, you've, you've, you know, you've been spending, and now you're like, it's there. And, and usually there's people lining up with, and projects lining up and things lining up that you need to pay off. And, and he's like, and with the first fruits, Bring it to me. We had a men's breakfast here a couple months ago, and one of the brothers here was one of the people was sharing about his own experience with tithing and how he really felt like God led him to, to, to invest 10% of all of his income and, and just trust God with that and, and how God has turned around and blessed him in return for that. I mean, that's, that's the promise there, verse 10. That when you honor God... When you write out your check and you put it in the offering box at the back there, that, that God will in return look after you. And he'll look after not only you, but, but your future. Your, your barns are going to be filled completely. Your, your vats are going to overflow. I mean, this is not just, just barely make it. I mean, God's going to look after you and more so. You don't give in order to do that, but you, you give to honor the Lord, and then you just leave it in his hands and say, God, I trust you to look after my life. When I get paid next Sunday, I, I write my check to New Life. It is a tithe off of the income that I get from New Life. It comes right back here, first and foremost, in a percentage, right to here. I do other things beyond that, but, the, but I, don't, I don't like, oh, I'm going to give some here, I'm going to give some there. I'm gonna, my, my first comes to the storehouse here, and then we do things beyond that. That's, but God has never, ever let me down in this way. In Malachi, 
the prophet tells the people and, and from God's own words, test me in this. See if I'm not going to look after you. You understand that if you make more than $30,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's income. If you make more than 100, you're in like the top 2% or 1%. You are rich, all of you, compared to the rest of the world. Uh, 10% is, is pretty minor. I mean, I'm I'm just saying that God's going to hold us accountable for everything we receive in this world. And so the book of Proverbs says, if you honor God, you're acknowledging him, he's going to look after you, and, and it just kind of comes in a circle. God, you know, as, you're, as you give, God you know, returns. As you give, God returns. As you give, God returns. He says, this is the way of wisdom. And it's also an act of trust because one of those levers, one of those dials in your control center is the money dial. That's the real controller in your life. You want to kick someone, you know, start pressing them on the money issue. And God's like, I want to even be trusted in that area of your life. My income doesn't go up if the income of the church goes up. Understand that. <laughs> My salary is set by the board, and that's what I get paid every year. So if we make more money, it doesn't come to me. It doesn't come to Pastor John. That'd be nice, but it's not the way it works, right? So understand, you give more. Well, where does it go? It goes into this church and into the ministries that we do so we can fix up the basement. If you haven't been down there, you need to go down there and look at every room and decide if that's really a place that you would want to drop your kids and grandkids off. A place you're proud to bring neighbors to. You need to tell me that. I mean, I don't think the foyer before was a place that I was proud to bring people to. It is a place I'm proud to bring people to now. You need to go downstairs and decide, people, if, if this is something that you're proud to be a part of. I think, when, you know, so more money, we can fix the basement. We can fix this room. We can put some windows in. We can add on. I mean, I mean that's, and then we can start sending missionaries out. We can invest in, in supporting men and women across the world as they preach the gospel. I mean, this is where the money goes. It's to the mission of moving up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. But he says, if you do this, I'll look after you. Then the final thing is in verse 11 and 12, which is really also very strange. My child, do not despise the discipline from the Lord, and do not loathe his rebuke. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. The end of this verse of 12 verses, he says, you know, there are circumstances in your life where God is going to train you. Train you. He's going to allow you to go through some circumstances that are going to squeeze you that are going to pressure you. And you're going to, at those times, maybe even hate God for doing that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm using that term very, but you know, you're just going to be, God, why did you do this? And thankfully, if you read through the whole book of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, it gives you a great balanced perspective. You have Job, you have Psalms, the Psalms of Lament, where the, the psalmist is just like, God, why is this happening? Where are you, God? Where, you know, and, and this is in the Bible, thankfully. And you, you hit Proverbs, and you hit Ecclesiastes, where he's, I mean, it gives you a balanced perspective on life if you read through the whole wisdom corpus of the Old Testament. But, but he's like, don't despise God's discipline. Now, some of you have a, a term of discipline that's always negative. Discipline is an angry father with a two-by-four taking you behind the shed and just beating you. And that, that's not the discipline that God gives us. Uh, discipline is not a, a mother who is pushing you across the kitchen viciously. Discipline is not angry cuss words and names spoken at you in, in, you know, in, in disgust and anger. I mean, that, that's not discipline. 
Discipline is God the Father coming alongside of us and training us through our mistakes. We moved to a camp when I was in grade five, and we had to clean the camp. That was one of our jobs. And, and we went through uh, the upstairs. There were rooms, and there was about eight bathrooms there, and we would clean them, and so I helped my dad. And, and then he would take me back after I cleaned the bathroom, and then he would point out things. I mean, you don't like that as a kid, but he, he'd be like, yeah, you know, Mike, you see what happens is when you go to the bathroom, you turn around and you close the door. And if you look behind the door, you can tell if someone's cleaned the bathroom because if there's dust there, they have not cleaned the bathroom. If you look at the sink, Mike, and right in those little cracks, right by the, the handles, if that's dirty, that means the bathroom's not clean, Mike. And see, yeah, you wiped the sink. I can tell you wiped because you left a, a nice film on, on, on the of comet around the edge of the sink. That's not clean, Mike. And it was irritating, but he was trying to say, you know what, my name is attached to the cleanliness of this place, and so is yours. And we're going to do the best job we can. Years later, I was, I was helping him with his landscaping business, and he had cut grass for people in Salmon Arm, and I was just at home from college helping him cut grass, and I, I cut this guy's lawn. This guy had a really nice yard, and I cut it really well. But then Dad took me back there the next time. He's like, hey, Mike, you did a great job, but there's something you missed in this one. I'm like, really? What do you mean? He's like, you filled up the mower on the grass, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And you dripped gas right on this guy's lawn. And, and the next time I showed up, he pointed that out to me. He said, you know what? Your son dripped gas on my lawn. And sure, there was two little brown spots. And he's like, despite the great job you did here, Mike, this took away from it because you killed his lawn. And now, tough, but you know, I never, ever filled a mower <laughs> on the grass again. It was, it was instruction. It was, it was training. It was, it was discipline. He was saying, look, I want you to do your best job. I want our name to stand up as a name which, which does good work, and so you need to be careful in the little details of life. Don't despise God's discipline. Sometimes in this journey of life, things don't work out the way we hope they will. People let us down. Employers disregard the contribution we made over years. People abandon us. Maybe even covenant partners in marriage leave you holding nothing. Uh, all sorts of horrific things. Your health could, could take a, a nosedive, and, and you're kind of wondering, where is God in all of this? And he says, just let God train you through the ups and downs of life. He is still worthy of your trust. Will you trust him? There are going to be tough times in life. You're going to go to school and you're going to find out that you're all alone in your faith at school. You may be the only one in the shop that, that actually believes in God and, and lives in a way that would please him. I mean, that, that just might be the, the reality. The office has no one else. And you're, you're one of the few women there, a man that, that's faithful, that's committed, that's devoted. I mean, and you're like, you know, I, I don't understand the discipline that I'm, I'm facing, but God is faithful, and he will walk you through that. He loves you. Trust in the Lord. In the 1860s, there was a guy who tied a big cable across Niagara Falls. A thousand feet. Blondin, and he began, he walked across that cable. Everyone was just watching. 160 feet above the torrential roar of the falls, he walks across. He walks across again, and everyone's clapping. Woo-hoo, yeah. Then he picks up a wheelbarrow. 
and he starts walking across with this wheelbarrow, and everyone's like, no way, you know, and he does the whole falls in the wheelbarrow, and then he sees a little guy there, and he's like, hey, do you think, do you think I could carry you across in this wheelbarrow? And the, guy, the little guy's like, oh, yeah, I think you could. He's like, well, yeah, get in. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not getting in, the little guy says, you know, and God's like, do you trust me? It's like God's like, just get on my back. Let me piggyback you through life. You don't have to carry this on your own. I'll carry you through. Right? No, 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 God, I got this. And we're stumbling, we're tripping. He's like, just trust me. Just come to know me and in all your ways. Let me sit in the seat, but I'm going to let you sit on my lap, and we're going we're gonna to figure this out together. Don't worry. You can trust me. And Jesus came, and he showed us God's love. He died on the cross for our sins. He, we all rejected and abandoned him and were rebellious children, and, and God still sent Jesus to be our Savior. And we can trust in Jesus today and walk in this way of wisdom and discover God's fullest blessings in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And all these six things that he talked about that are, that are such an awesome benefit for us come when we know God personally through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, today I invite you to to trust, to surrender your life to him and to accept him as your savior. And for those of us that know Jesus, chances are you're not trusting him in some areas of life. It's just human nature for us to take control. And the book of Proverbs just takes us back to that place where we just humbly step aside and welcome God back into the control center. Maybe today there's an area or two in your life where you have taken the, the levers, the buttons, and God's like, and you're like, hey, Lord, just, just hands off, you take over. We let him lead and guide us. Would you, would you pray as, as we close and the team's just going to come up and lead us in a final song? And, but as, just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if, if you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I just encourage you to just where you're seated, you, you can just offer a prayer where, where you invite Jesus to be your Savior, you, where you confess your sins and acknowledge that Christ died for you and rose again and that, that you want to just trust him, be in relationship with God and, and experience this love. And Father, you know the hearts of everyone in this room. And we may be hiding things from each other, but we can't hide anything from you. And in every area where we are struggling to trust, we just ask for you to, to fill us and to guide us and to lead us and to humble us and to love us and encourage us. For the kids at school, Lord, that are all alone in their faith, would you give them the courage to stand and be strong? For those in workplaces where, where, they're, where they're the only one, where they just know that you are the God who cares and, and loves and leads. For the family with young children and struggling to know you know, how do we make the right steps as the parents? Would you just give them the, the direction that they need for the, for the elderly as they approach into senior and retirement, that you would just guide the steps of those that are older and, and middle-aged? Lord, at every stage of our life, we need you, Lord. And we surrender today to you afresh. We give our hearts to you. We step out of the throne room of our own lives and allow you to be the leader, the Lord. And so we thank you for this wonderful words of scripture that may they guide us even this week as we make decisions.